You're listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Kamajis, a licensed clinical social worker with a multi-state online therapy practice. I have a passion for empowering women and mom therapists to break free of the fear, overwhelm, and oppressive systems that hold them back from taking action and building the private practice of their dreams. My goal is for you to boldly believe in yourself as a clinician and business owner. If you're looking for a place to learn practice building strategy and skill while also claiming your own power as a woman and a therapist, then you're in the right place. Welcome to the show. Welcome to this week's episode of the Raise to Empower podcast. I'm joined today by my guest, Laura Zane, a highly sensitive therapist, wife, and mother of two. With over a decade of experience as a licensed therapist in Florida, Laura specializes in helping highly sensitive individuals thrive. She's also a coach for therapists like herself, guiding them to create practices that align with their unique sensitivities. Today, Laura wears multiple hats, serving as a licensed mental health counselor and as a compassionate coach for therapists who identify as highly sensitive. Her mission is to help fellow sensitives build lives that authentically align with their unique intuitive and empathic natures. Laura is a lifelong learner who stays on the cutting edge of research with expertise in various therapeutic modalities ranging from cognitive behavioral therapy, art therapy, to accelerated resolution therapy, and specialties in anxiety, depression, PTSD, highly sensitive people, and women's issues. Laura is deeply committed to the belief that we all have innate ability to heal ourselves. She infuses her practice with spirituality, addressing soul wounds, and collaborates closely with Eastern and Western medical providers to craft personalized treatment plans. Her unique approach aims to help individuals heal efficiently and comprehensively, setting them on a path to fulfillment and well-being. Laura, welcome to the Raised to Empower podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We were chatting beforehand and we realized we're like neighbors, probably like 20 minutes down the road from each other. (laughs) Small world. It's amazing. Small, small world. Yes. So um, I always start off by getting a little bit of background from my my guests because I love to always hear like we each have such different journeys to to the work that we're in. So how did you get into the field of mental health and then into private practice? <laughs> yeah, it was a long journey. Um, it actually started, my parents went through a divorce when I was about 13. Um, and it was, it wasn't like, it was like you were, over the top, messy, like mm. made for TV type divorce. Um, and it kind of led me down the path to mental health counseling. I ended up with a school guidance counselor that did crisis intervention, um, had run away from home, trying to get therapy. Yeah. Um, there was, so there was a lot, it was a lot of messiness at that time yeah. in my life. And then um, decided, okay, after those experiences, I wanted to work with kids worked my way through college um, and ended up at a nonprofit like most of us do. And then it was a nonprofit that was, it was a safe alternative to out of school suspension. So I'd been a preschool yeah. teacher. So they wanted me to work with kids. While I was there, I ended up um, getting to know the guidance counselors really well, getting to know the school staff. So they recruited me to be a guidance counselor. I was a guidance counselor for almost 10 years for our local school board. 
um, kept my internship during that time. So I was one of those people that I, I had a 10 year internship because I just want to put it on hold. And yeah. then when I had my second child, my older one was in kindergarten and I decided I didn't really want to put my child in any of the classrooms. And mm. I went back and got fully licensed. And so then I was school certified in guidance and um, mental health and started doing, um, started doing what I do now in private practice. I started out working with kids. So I'm working for a large corporation and then um, slowly realized, oh, I like working with adult women and yeah. finding out I discovered my own high sensitivity. And so I started, I was like, oh, there's not enough of us working with highly sensitive. People don't even know what this is. Yeah. And so I started working with highly sensitive women and uh, I've gone from there. Well, and that's one of the things I wanted to like hear from you. One, how you learned that that about yourself, that you're a highly sensitive individual. But then for those who are listening, I think a lot of us have heard that phrase or that term, but may not know what it it is. Can you kind of share a little bit about that? Yeah. So honestly, I don't know how I, I think I just was, I don't even know how I came across the term. Somehow I came across Elaine Aaron's website though. She's the uh, initial researcher of it. And um, and you can find her website at safestpersons.com. She has a quiz on there and everything. When I came across her website, I was like, oh, this is me. Um, yeah. And I jokingly say, like, I cry at a good Hallmark commercial. It's, you know, really overly sensitive to smells, overly mm. sensitive to um, sounds, like things. So there's a lot of sensory issues that go yeah. with it. A lot of people believe that it's on the autism spectrum. Elaine Aaron says that it's not. There's some debate on that. Um, it is a neurodiversity, but it's too large to be considered like a mental illness. It's, it's okay. about one in five people. So it's about 20% of the population have this highly sensitive trait. And what they've discovered is that there's actually more mirror neurons in our brains. So we are picking up expressions. We're picking up body language. We're picking up cues in the environment all the time. So, for example, we're the people that might notice that you've gotten a new haircut or you've gotten a new pair of glasses or, you know, that your outfit changed or we're going to pick up on body language as far as, um, you know, you walk in a room and you can you can see that the person isn't them, their normal sure. self. And it's, we're picking up those micro cues that a lot of the world misses. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's interesting because I, as you're talking about that and describing that, I'm thinking like for those that are in the mental health world, we're doing so much of that, of like picking up on cues and reading, you know, the room and, and, you know, things that other people are not noticing. So is this something that you see more common amongst therapists or there's the other side that like we're trained to do that. Like how, how do you see this um, like aligned or co-occurring? Yeah, I think, I think we do tend, I don't know, you know, I don't think there's any, been any studies showing like whether or not therapists tend to be more sensitive or not. Um, I do think that it's a field that we're attracted to. So, yeah. like, you know, there, there are certain personality traits that are attracted to certain fields. I think that highly sensitive may be more attracted to it, but they've shown that they're in all fields. 
uh, okay. that they are they are spread across all fields um, of of career, and really that they that it can be it can show up when people come to therapy looking like anxiety. It can show mm. up looking like depression. It can show up looking like sensory overload. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think as therapists, especially if we're highly sensitive and we come into this field, we have to set different boundaries. So somebody who's a non-sensitive that's a therapist can easily see 30, 35 clients a week and they're not, they're not phased by it. For some of us that are sensitive, we may only be able to see 12 to 15 clients mm. and we're going to be that um, yeah. of our energy. You know, it also depends on the client population that we work with. Sure. It kind of, it, it, it's in all fields, but if it affects each of us differently. Now, did you know this about yourself before you started private practice or was it something you discovered after being in practice? I discovered it while I was at the large corporation that I was working for. When I first started working there, the expectation was 24 people was full time. And I was able to do 24. I had come from the school board where I worked 37 yeah. hours ish and um, 30 or 24 people was doable. He then upped it to 32 people a week and he wanted us scheduling 36. And so I was many. like, I can't, I, I couldn't do that. I just yeah. couldn't do it. Um, I was coming home sleeping. I was disengaged from what was happening with my kids. Like 32 was listening. So when he requested that we do 32 people, it just became overwhelming. And I think it was in that process that I started asking other therapists, are you able to do 32? And it was probably like a 60, 40 split. Okay. About 60% work. Yeah, not a problem. Like, I don't mind scheduling 35. The others of us were kind of like, no, this is craziness. There's no way we can do this. Um, And then we had one therapist that was seeing 60 people. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, he's obviously not a sensitive. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So, just seeing the difference in the way that they, they did it made it really difficult. So when I opened my own private practice, um, I left there and I said to him, I'm like, you know, your practice is growing. It's it's a huge practice in the state of Florida. Um, and I don't want to do, you're running a Starbucks and I want a mom and pop coffee shop. Yeah. Like, and he was like, okay. So um, I was blessed in that he let me take my clients with me um, and kind of, I got started and, and opened my practice with it being a very small yeah. Practice. Well, and so when you were in that larger corporation, were you finding yourself like, would you have described yourself as feeling burnt out? Cause that's what, like, as you're describing this, I'm like, yeah, that would sound like burnout. Like that sounds like burnout to me. I think I, I think I have some HSP traits, um, mm-hmm. uh, from what I know, but like for someone who like knows themselves, I am a highly sensitive individual. Like that just sounds like burnout and exhaustion to me it it definitely was it was definitely I was cutting that trajectory and I knew that if I kept on that path I wouldn't be able to continue doing therapy 
I'm doing therapy to the degree that I like to do therapy. Yeah. Um, I want to go deep with my clients. I want to really work with them on, you know, on those deeper, deeper levels. It's it's a benefit and a curse. It's a benefit for me being a therapist. Um, it's a curse being an HSP because we don't do well with like water cooler talk. We don't do well sure. with, you know, the, the getting to know you. So when people come in, we spend you know, it's not unusual for an HSP therapist to spend 15 minutes with their clients and then they're already deep. Like yeah. we're, we're jumping in deep. So one of the things we have to work on really doing is not going too deep, too fast because sure. you know, if your client's not ready, it's right. scary to them, you know? Right, so. right. So when you left that organization and were starting your practice were there specific things that like as you were like learning this about yourself specific things that you knew I need to structure my practice or my day in a specific way to protect myself yeah there was a lot of trial and error but one of the things I needed to do was I didn't I couldn't take heavy clients and um like like back to back so if it was a client that had some really heavier trauma, I would schedule A, a break after them so I could detox myself. And then mm. B, I would also do a lighter line or client that didn't have sure. that had lighter issues on me right behind me so that it gave my body time to detox. Because a lot of it we also absorb. Um, yeah. So that's one of the things we really have to work on is not absorbing our clients' emotions. Yeah. Um, so, so that was one thing. I also scheduled shorter days. So um, HSPs tend to get tired more often in that we're getting constant sensory stimulation. So one of the things that I did is I would schedule a longer lunch break and I actually use it as either time to nap or meditate mm. um, and make sure I'm taking care of those um, needs. And I know this is controversial, but I do tend to keep food in my office. Um, yeah. I have stuff for both my clients when I had an office, I'm online completely yeah. now, um, but I would have food and tea in there for them, but I would also keep it for myself sure. because if, it's, if something got too heavy, I could snack on like nuts or grounding type mm. foods to keep me from kind of getting a few in my head. Yeah. Um, so, and I know some schools of thought are that you shouldn't eat in front of your clients, that kind of thing, but it helped, um, keep me grounded yeah um I think it also helps model self-care for clients too right it's a way of showing like it's okay to drink it's okay to to need to have a snack if you know you're 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 needing that at that time and it's okay for our clients to do that absolutely absolutely and I usually will explain it to them in the first session you know that I have a very strong emotional reaction um I may tear up on them while they're talking it's not, it's my body's physical reaction Mm. and it's not necessarily because of them, but because when my body hears something, it's an indicator light to me that there's something else going on deeper. So so I explain that right from the beginning, um, because there are times when I'm going to tear up with my clients and, and, and I think that's true for most HSP therapists that, we tear up or we we're emotionally um reflecting their pain back to them. Yeah. Yeah. So I know one of the things you do in addition to your practice is 
like coaching and, and support for other therapists who, um, are HSPs and like building, uh, you know, a schedule or a practice that really like aligns with what their needs are. Are there common struggles that you find amongst therapists who identify as HSP? Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot of them struggle with the longer hours, the Mm. feeling guilty because our shouldn't everybody else is seeing 24 clients. I can only manage 15. What, why is that? Um, So there's a lot of that. If we're moms too, the constant caregiving often becomes an issue. Like we're, caregiving for our clients and then we come home and we're caregiving for our children and so part of what I work on is really having your private practice work around your family schedule and it might be an unusual um schedule like for me I it seems it seems counterintuitive but I work three long days I work nine to seven Monday Tuesday Wednesday um and I've done that but I switched it around over the years I used to work long days, nine to seven, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday. The longer days work for me because I don't have to shift gears of being mom, therapist, mm. mom, therapist. And my kids like it because they're like, oh, you're only gone three days a week. Like it gives me a nice balance yeah. of motherhood and yeah, being able to see my clients and being fully present for both. We've all been told we need to network in our private practice, but no one actually tells us how to do it or what to say. Enter Comprehensive Connecting, effective scripts that expand your networking community and actually fill your online practice. This free guide will give you effective scripts to connect with fellow clinicians, medical professionals, and community stakeholders to build strong networking relationships that will help fill your practice. In this guide, you will get tips and tricks for building relationships that will lead to referrals in your practice, real life examples of messages used to connect with referral sources, and customizable plug and send scripts for your specific practice needs. So download your free scripts guide today by going to bit.ly forward slash comp connecting. So I'm curious, like as you're talking, because I think like what you described I know for myself as a mom and a therapist that, yeah, it is that place of where you're caregiving for your clients and then you're caregiving for, you know, your family. And one of the things in my private practice, I work with um, a lot of moms, but also perinatal population. So in postpartum and, you know, one of the things that I think I've seen in my, with my client work, but also just in the culture identifying is the overstimulation of moms. And that's not just to moms who aren't therapists, like we as therapists, moms, a hundred percent experience that too. I'm curious, is there anything connecting that? Like, do you know of any like research or anything showing that highly sensitive, you know, individual qualities can like show up in this period of motherhood that like is brand new to our bodies and our senses and yeah, I, I don't know of any studies off the top of my head, but I do think it does show up. Like I was able to manage a lot more before I had children. Oh yeah. I also had downtime scheduled in my day and right. I could do the self-care and that kind of thing. And so I think it does show up more intensely at A, the hormonal changes that we have sure. as mothers. And we're much more in tune with this other person. But 
the things that we can do prior to children or self-care are no longer, they're no longer there. We don't have the option to do that. You know, like going and sitting in the, in the tub to kind of bring our sensory system down with nuts and salt when you have an infant is about impossible, you know, it's it's a a pipe dream. (laughs) It's a pipe dream. And many sensitives don't do well if they're physical we're very tuned into our body so if we're Mm. not getting enough sleep if we're not eating regularly if we're you know not getting our basic self-care showers that kind of thing it throws us off Mm. and so adding that piece in when you're sleep deprived you're not eating if you're nursing you've got the sensory overload of a baby on you all the time you're not getting so you're you're having constant touch on top of that yeah it 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 can cause sensory meltdowns for yeah well and maybe some of that was there prior to having a baby but like you said we were able to care for ourselves in a totally different way and manage our overstimulation in a way that's just like non-existent now exactly exactly like you know you you didn't have, at least I don't know in your household, but in my household, I, my kids are constantly, you know, touching me, climbing oh, on yes. me. They, you know, I mean, they're, they're human jungle now, gym. Still, <laughs> exactly. They're teenagers now. And I've got one on each side, like when we're watching <laughs> movies and stuff. yeah, so, you know, um, so it doesn't change, but it's, it, it's definitely the overstimulation can affect you in motherhood. And then you go in and you're, you're, trying to be a therapist being fully present and you haven't had time to reground your body. Yeah. Yeah. So is that something that you encourage therapists who are noticing this for themselves that I'm feeling overstimulated? I'm having a hard time, like you said, kind of coming into the sessions separated from all of the other stimulation of like having some kind of grounding practices or are there things that whether somebody is an HSP or that they are just overstimulated, like what are some things that we as therapists can be doing to help prepare ourselves? Rounding practices, definitely making sure you're getting outside. I mean, that's a good practice across the board, whether you're an HSP or non-HSP, but literally grounding your body, going outside, putting your feet in dirt, either having Mm. plants or something in your office, but even if you can stick your finger in them, you know, the microbes can help with, yeah. with resetting your nervous system, um, making sure that you're doing things that are downtime for you, that you have no commitments to anybody else that may look like staying an hour later at work um, so that you, with no clients, no doing notes, but just taking time and carving out an hour for yourself or midday, um, even you know, if that works better for you, taking that time. Um, If you can rely on your partner and say, hey, I need, need, you know, a half hour to come home and switch gears rather than just jumping into mom as soon as you get home. Um, Some of the other things is if you can do physical expression, mindfulness, that kind Mm. of thing, Um, yoga, those are very helpful some practical things also like not watching the news for a lot of mm. us that are HSPs, you know, we want to stay up to date, but things like watching the news sets our emotional system off and 
we're already giving so much. We hear stuff on the news. It's not like we're capable of taking it off. Um, sure. A lot of times we go highly sensitive. So from instead of going from, you know, A to C, if we hear something that's tragic, we go from A to Z and we're worried about the family members that haven't gotten the news yet or, mm. you know, then it goes. So we go really far. Deep. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so we're not able to shake it off. So avoiding things that are going to upset your your emotions, um, yeah, prior, you know, and filling your day with positive things, um, yeah, yeah, you know, uplifting things like whether it's music or or lighter TV shows, whatever it is, to kind of help boost your mood. Part of what I'm hearing you say, some of it is creating your own boundaries from the world, creating physical boundaries of space between sessions, between family members, that kind of thing. I know you have a course or a workbook for individuals to kind of work through some of this. Can you share a little bit about that? Yep. So I created a course. Um, I actually created it for the Sarah bundle. Um, yeah. And it, um, it's six modules and it's, it's a course combination workbook. It's more workbook, but it's done in a course reading format. Um, I'm going to be throwing some videos in there too, but it's about boundaries and it's using what I call the best interest method. And what best stands for is, does it, um, the B is, does it benefit you in some way, shape or fashion, mentally, physically, spiritually, or financially? Um, the E is, do you have enthusiasm for the project? So are you able to you know, actually dedicate the the, the emotional energy mm. into the project. Um, do you have the stamina for the project? So if it's a one and done, you might have the stamina for that day. If it's a project that is going to be long-term, you know, like being homeroom mom because you want to be involved in your child's life, it's a year commitment. Do you have the stamina for them? Sure. Um, and, and then she is time. And so going through this, it has six modules and we look at what are boundaries, how to set them, and then how to frame them using this model. And if you don't have the stamina, then, okay, letting the other person know, you know, as much as I'd like to do this, you know, I need to put my time and energy into other things and then letting it go. And mm. what it does is it helps reframe things from the standpoint of, is this really in my best interest or am I doing it because I feel obligated or because I'm, you know, wanting to be a good mom or, yeah. you know, the, all of those things that we play all in the our shoulds. <laughs> all the should, and it kind of addresses it from there. And then I also throw in a secondary layer, even if it's in your best interest, is it also something that you can give without expectation so mm. that you're not including the invisible strings on things. And so I have six modules and we look at boundaries in relationships, um, boundaries at home, and then boundaries in the professional setting. And each one's kind of broken down. So the first four modules or three of the first three modules are all about boundaries, what they are, what they look like, how to express them. And then the last three modules are all about specifically being able to decline or use words mm. that kind of help you say what you need to say without being apologetic. 
Is that something that you notice with HSPs? Because I, so like I primarily work with women in my practice and I, I noticed that just amongst women in general that we, we are so good at doing what we think we're supposed to do and not wanting to say no because the other person may feel a certain way. And so I'm curious, like, is this a female thing or is this, you know, do you see this with, you know, HSPs in general or? I think it is a female thing that we have been conditioned to say yeah. yes. Um, and I do think it's harder for HSPs. Okay. So part of where my boundaries thing came in is, I'm watching my husband and my husband's a default no guy. Like anything you ask him, his immediate answer is no. Like it doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> nope, can't do it. And then I would see him. And for me, I'm a little bit persistent. I'm a lot persistent. So I'd go back and ask three times. Like yeah. I have this theory that I have to ask him everything three times. And so the second time he's thinking about it, the third time I get the actual answer. But what I realized is for him being in default, no person was so much easier than it was for me, who tends to be a default yes person. Yeah, I kind of go off the concept of if I can, I should, or, you know, and not really looking at really, should I, like, is this really in right. my best interest? Um, And so that's kind of where this whole thing stemmed from. And women tend to be default yes. The problem with being default yes is, Default knows habit so much easier. If they mm-hmm. say no and then they think about it and they're like, oh yeah, I do want to do this, they can go back and say to the person, Oh, I thought about it. Yeah, I can give my time to you. And the person either does one of two things. They're like, Oh, great, we're so relieved. Thank you so much. Or they say, Oh, don't worry about it. We found somebody else. Yeah. When, yeah. When you're a default, yes. And you go back and you think about it and you're like, oh, no, what did I just get myself into? Yeah. You go back to the person and say, you know, I thought about it. It's really, I can't do it because it's so much energy or, you know, I, I, I can't give what you're asking. Usually there's some kind of negative reaction. Oh, well, you already told me, you yeah. already told me, yes. I, you know, and there's a so, consequence. There's a consequence. <laughs> yeah. Right? And then we're, we're kind of, we, we feel guilty. And so then we have a harder time going back and saying no. Right. And we feel guilty because we say no, but we're often saying yes from the guilt to begin with or the imagined guilt. We imagine what it would be like to have someone say no to us, especially as HSPs. We're very good at putting ourselves in other people's shoes and we have a harder time saying no. No, I mean, this is, this is all just so fascinating. And I feel like it's like connecting all these puzzle pieces because, you know, if you are an HSP and you are the default, yes, which it sounds like many probably are, then again, like when you think of overstimulation and over input into the body, you're always saying yes to these things. And like the fear essentially of saying no or having to go back just like, I can just envision it like circling in the body and yeah, that, you know, working on boundaries is probably so, so important. And especially if you are creating a business and if you are a parent or a caregiver, like having those clear boundaries, like it's, it sounds vital to your survival. 
It really is. And then if you add in a lot of people come in for therapy for things like anxiety, trauma, you know, any of those things, not being allowed to say no as a child, you know, you carry all that stuff into adulthood and it doesn't just disappear because we're therapists and we're trained in therapy. You know, we still have, uh, you know, a, a lot of us still have that people pleasing tendency and then it shows up in the hours that we work. It shows up in whether or not we're willing to negotiate our fees. It shows up. And we see that, you know, that's pervasive in our field. You know, people oh, yeah. say, oh, just negotiate your fees. It's okay. Um, You know, we don't do that to lawyers no, or no. specialists that are doctors. Right. And so this is all ways that our boundaries are often yeah. compromised, whether it's it's the times that we do, the hours that we extend, the fees that we show, you know, that show up. It shows up in our therapies in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, like I said, this is all so, so interesting because I see this so much amongst women therapists, again, that we are the yes, we are the I'm supposed to, we're the rule followers, we're like the people pleasers and wanting to be the helpers and 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 then thinking about like the pressure that that puts on us to begin with. But then if you add in this whole other component as a highly sensitive person, like just, yeah, the intensity of that, I can't imagine. <laughs> Yeah, the, the intensity is pretty real. And then if you're coming, you know, not to not nonprofits, I have a sweet space in my heart for them. Um, but we also, a lot of us have come through nonprofits where you don't really get to choose and pick and, and no. you don't, there's not a whole lot of autonomy in you. No. And so part of it is relearning the autonomy of being able to do this and being able to trust that you know, a lot of us that are highly sensitive also have good, really good intuition. Um, and so, you know, you're talking to that potential client on the phone that, you know, deep down, you're like, oh, this yeah. really, I might be able to help this person, but they're not a good fit. Sure. And, you know, we're taught in nonprofits, no, you take that client anyway. Right. As a business owner, we may feel guilty and take that client, but then it's going to be you know, there's energy enhancing and energy zapping clients. It's an energy zapping client and you're trying to do so many other things that it, that, you know, your sympathy and your, your wanting to be kindness, yeah. you feel like is trying to serve the client, but it actually doesn't, it doesn't serve you and it doesn't serve the client in the long run. No, no, there's misalignment there. Misalignment, right. And a lot of times we know it almost from that intake call, but we're like, oh, I can help them. Throw that person out. Like that. Yeah. Find somebody who's gonna be a better fit. You know, it doesn't mean you can't help. It just means that you can't help by it being you. Sure. One more question before we kind of start to wrap up. Like in your work with therapists who are HSPs, as I'm listening to you, you know, I've never really thought about it like that there are yes yes people and no people. And it's so true. Do you find that part of your work in coaching them is leaning into that no side and, and how do you help make that shift? Because again, it, like this is ingrained in our families, in society from the time we are young, especially if we are girls. Right. 
Um, I really work with them on looking at what is the no, what, what Mm. is, what does your no look like? How do you say it? So a lot of us think that no's have to be harsh. They don't have to be harsh. It can be, I can't help you with that. Here is a person who can. So Mm. it's saying no, it's actively practicing it. It's not unusual that I give homework a lot of, um, a lot of HSP is part of the quality of being an HSP is being very conscientious. So we also tend to lean a little bit towards perfectionism. Mm. And so part of that is allowing yourself to make mistakes, not yeah. mistakes, but mistakes and giving yourself permission to go, oh, I did a mistake and I have to redo that um, and redoing it that way. So a lot of it is really, yes, just helping them practice saying the no recognizing that they're holding the space, feeling uncomfortable, and then where do we go from there? And how did that benefit you? Yeah. What what, what energy? I, I use a lot of, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Christine Melisandre, her spoon theory. Mm-hmm. Um, her spoon theory is fabulous. She did it for lupus. And essentially what she talked about was how she has lupus and she um, was out with a friend and the friend asked what it was like to have lupus. And they were at a restaurant. She grabbed spoons off the table and she went through her day and passed the spoon. And then at the end, her friend only has one spoon left. And she's like, you know what? I still have to shower. I still have to eat. I still have to do all of these things. And she had one spoon left. And she mm. her friend decides to make soup and for dinner and recognizing yeah. that she has no more spoons to give. And so I do a lot of work around how many spoons do you actually have to give. And if you give this client three spoons, what does that leave you left over to come home and balance your mm. home life, whatever that looks like, you know, and, you know, so if you say yes to this, what are you saying no to over here? And it kind of helps with empathetically saying no. Because sure. you have to reserve your energy. If we get burnt out, we're not serving anybody. Is there? No, no, no. Our client, our family, ourselves. Was, yeah. Right. Anybody. Yeah. And so that's where a big part of it is boundary work. Which we preach to our clients, <laughs> but we're <laughs> the worst sometimes with that. <laughs> we really are. We really are. We preach. And part of this stems from working with a client and talking to her about boundaries. And we're, we were about a year and a half in and she's like, okay, Laura, I get boundaries. I, I, I get them, but I don't really get them. Mm. And it's one of those moments as a therapist, you go, oh my God, did I really fail this client that bad? I've been working with them for a year and a half and we've been talking about boundaries, but they don't really understand the boundaries. And they're like, I get the concept but I don't understand it on a deeper level. Mm. And I think for as H, I think as HSPs, we need to really understand it on a deep level, not just the thing, no, but the why behind. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise I'm going to say yes. Yeah. What is it going to do for me and to me by creating this boundary? Yeah. Right. Right, that much deeper level, not just a oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. Right, right. So, if listeners want to learn more about your work or connect with you, where where are places that they can find you? Um, they can find me through my website, 
www.sagecinnity.net. They can find me through my Coaching for Empaths website. Um, same thing, www.coachingforempaths.com. Um, they can also find me on Instagram at Laura Zane Coaching or Laura Zane Counseling. They can find me on Facebook. Um, for therapists, I do have a free um, Facebook group. It's called The Empathic Therapist. Um, so they can find me in there as well. And it's just support for therapists who identify as empathic and are highly sensitive and just need that, hey, we were having a harder time with whatever comes up and having that support. Um, So those are the places that they can find me. And we'll have all of those linked in the show notes. And then I know you have a freebie for listeners that they can grab um, to kind of start dabbling in some of this. Can you share a little bit about that? Yep, I have a freebie. It's five ways um, to get centered, uh, five ways to set boundaries. Um, And in it, I talk about different types of boundaries, energetic, physical, spiritual, emotional. Um, That's available to them on my Coaching for Empath site. Um, I do ask for an email, but they can skip over that piece if they want. Um, And um, I also have a discount for any of your um, users that they want to give the code um empowered women you okay. can let, let us know that and we'll give a 20% discount as part of your show uh, for those that are listening awesome. for first session either through for coaching or the therapist or for moms HSPs that want to work with me awesome and like I said we'll have all of that for sure linked in the show note Laura I really have enjoyed our conversation I feel like we could like have this be like a multi-part series because there's so oh. much here I would love to do that if you're open to it. Yes, we'll figure that. We'll we'll have to chat and like make this a thing because this is I like again like all these light bulbs are going off as you're talking and I'm like there's stuff here. I know what happened when I discovered I was HSP. I was like, oh, that's why I cry at commercials. Oh, that's why I get angry (laughs) and that's why I get anxious. Um, It was like uh, it was like a it was almost like a pinball, like putting all the dots together like it was just like bing, 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 bing. yeah so, yeah yeah so, well so, thank you so much for joining us here today and we will definitely be chatting again uh in in the future for sure sounds good i look forward to it Thank you so much for listening to the Raise to Empower podcast. Check the show notes for all links and resources mentioned in the show. If you found today's episode helpful or inspiring, be sure to share it with your therapist friends. And don't forget to subscribe to the show and leave your five-star rating and review. It truly means so much to me and will help us get our message of empowerment out to other women and mom clinicians. And I'd love to connect with you in our Facebook community. So check out the show notes for the link or head to bit.ly forward slash raise to empower to join us. I'll see you back here next week.